Our bodies are the instruments of either sin or holiness. Through them, we express what is in our heart. By them, the core of our thinking, feeling, desiring, and willing comes to expression. The holiness of the Christian comes from another world order for which non-Christians have no taste. Sanctification, then, is God setting us apart for himself. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm excited uh, today to start up a new uh, topical series. As you know, probably if you've been around here for a while, we like to do book studies and go through entire books of the Bible. But we're going to take kind of a, a little bit of a, of a break from a book and go four to five weeks on a topic that's critical for us to understand and critical for us to see what the Bible says about, and that's the topic of our sanctification. And we're going to talk today about what sanctification is and why it's so important to God. So what is it? It's a big word. What is it? And why is it so important to God? So kind of before we answer those questions, let me just kind of set this up for a second for you. Back in the 80s and 90s, there was this furious debate that was going on in churches, especially the churches that I was kind of connected to, but it was pretty widespread. And it was over a topic which is called Lordship Salvation. Lordship Salvation. And what you had was uh, people who were discussing whether someone could become a Christian, put their faith in Jesus, and be saved, meaning you're going to heaven when you die, I'm saved, I'm in, but not make Jesus the Lord of your life. So you could, you could accept him as your Savior, but not necessarily accept him as your Lord, meaning the one who commands you and tells you what to do. Now, as in all debates, oftentimes, you know, it's easy to uh, make big statements about, you know, you know, this is right and this is wrong, but there's a lot of nuances here. And one came from a good place that, that we wanted to be careful that we didn't add to um, grace, that, that somebody coming to Christ doesn't think they have to do all these things in order to become a Christian because Scripture makes it clear that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace you're saved, through faith, not of ourselves, not our works, lest we boast about it. It's all God from start to finish. So, so the tension was, if someone comes and then we add stuff to it, are we adding to grace? But the, the, the truth of the matter is, it created two categories of so-called Christians in, in, this, in this approach. It created those who just wanted Jesus as a Savior and had no regard for him being the Lord of their life. All they wanted was their ticket punched to heaven. I'm going to heaven when I die. And there was really no interest in Jesus Christ and his commands and his ways. All the interest was in just getting me to heaven. I, I don't want to go to hell. Get me to heaven. And so you had then two categories of cr Christians. You had those who were carnal. They were just, you know, I'm going to heaven. I don't really care about living life for Christ. And then you had those who at some point maybe decided like, okay, I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life now. And they dedicated their lives or concentrated their, concentrated their life to, to God. Now he's, Jesus is Lord. So two categories, carnal Christians and then serious Christians. 
Well, the problem with that is there's no biblical recognition of somebody who is indefinitely carnal in their faith. And when I say carnal, I mean just you don't care. You don't care what Jesus says. You don't care what he, how he says to live your life. You don't care what he writes in his word. In fact, you don't read his word. You just are basking in the fact that you're going to heaven when you die, and you're good to go with that. And maybe somewhere down the road, I might change my mind about this lordship thing, but for right now, then I'm pretty content. So two classes of Christians. And I, and I fell into that. And, and what happens is you create then this, these experiences that have to happen in the Christian life. You know, and you may remember this. If you went to a Christian camp, and, you know, as a, as a teenager, I went, middle school, you know, and in my mind, I was definitely would put myself in that carnal Christian camp because I could never get victory over sin. I could never get, get it all together. And so the last night at camp at this place we went called the Wilds, and they would do this big emotional service. And then they'd say, if you're serious about living for Jesus, pick up a stick and come up here and throw it in the fire. That's like throwing your, your life in the fire, and it's going to be all for Jesus. And you're going to live from here on out. Put the stake down. It's all about Jesus now the rest of your life. And, and of course, you know, if, if you had any desire whatsoever to live for Jesus, that was a stirring emotional moment, and you wanted to follow through on that and do that. But the problem was, I went to camp multiple years, and it never failed that at like two or three weeks after camp, here I was again struggling with the same sins. I lost a lot of a passion, pretty much all the passion that I had at camp. I'm looking around, and some of you guys know what I'm talking about, and you're like, man, it was so awesome at camp, and, it, and the experience was so amazing, but now life is boring. My relationship with God is boring. What's wrong? What happened? Why, why, why is this not working? And, and so we set this thing up where it, it, these big moments were supposed to be like redefining our devotion to Christ. And now I'm, 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 like, I'm not a casual Christian anymore. I'm not this carnal Christian anymore. I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus. But just we did that a year, year in and year out. Well, I think there's a, a better way. And I think there is scripturally teaches us what this means to live for Jesus and what that looks like in real life and how that having these in and out big moments of life where you come and you rededicate your life and you go for a period and you're back, you know, carnal again, there's a better way than that and there's a better understanding of that. And, and I want to encourage you during this series, a lot of these things are very meaty and there's some definitions you need to know and some truths you need to know. And the app is the best place, since we're not doing a bulletin, the app has most of these notes in there. And so if you open the church app and you go to the notes, sermon notes page, there's a lot of information there for you. And so let's pray, and then we're going to look at some scripture that has to do with sanctification and explain what this is and what it's all about. God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you that all our hope rests in him. And God, it's all grace. It's all grace that we came to you. And it's all grace how we live for you. And God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you did, did all the hard work, God. And what we have to do is trust you and let you work through us. And help us to understand more and more what that means and what that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the first point I want to make today from Romans 8, 29 is, when God saved you, he immediately put you on a path of sanctification, all right? Now, let's read the scripture, and then I'm going to define for you who are still scratching your head and say, what's sanctification? Look at uh, Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Paul writes and he says that we've been foreknown and predestined to be conformed to be like Jesus Christ, the image of his son. And so this idea of sanctification, it's a big word for just little by little progress that we make, which results in knowing Jesus and becoming more and more like Jesus. It's, it's, it's this path that we're on as Christians. Every Christian is on this path. Every true Christian, they're becoming more and more like Jesus in their life. Now, what gets confusing when we talk about sanctification, maybe for some of you, is that it's actually used several different ways in Scripture. Let me explain for a second. Sanctification can also be used by God's definitive work that he did in you at the time you put your faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Follow the writing here, what, what Paul is saying. He's saying, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be, be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, were, past tense, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So all of that's in past tense. He's saying to these people, and if you remember when we went through the book of Corinthians, the church at Corinth, these people were saved and came out of extremely, extremely horrible, sinful lifestyles. I mean, they came from the worst of the worst situation. Yet Paul tells them that when they came to Jesus, now all of this way of who they were before is in the past because they've now been sanctified. And in this case, the word sanctified means that God, because of what Jesus did and them putting their faith in Jesus, that Jesus gave those people, everyone who put their faith truly in Jesus, gave them the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not anything that, that they did to earn that or achieve that. Their lives from that point backwards were horrible. They lived in this way that Paul describes. But he says, I've sanctified you. I've justified you. I, I've given you the righteousness of Jesus, and I've sanctified you. And in this case, sanctification means I've set you apart for my, my work, for, my, for, for me. You are now for me. It, it, this is, your life is now completely devoted for Jesus Christ. I've set you apart. That's the, the actual, what sanctification means. Devoted to, set apart for an intention, for a purpose. And so at your new birth, when you came to Jesus Christ, he justified you and he sanctified you. He set you apart for his work. In fact, if you remember from Corinthians, Paul calls the, the Corinthians saints. Not because they were living like saints, but because they had the position of a saint, which is from that word, which is to be sanctified, holy, set apart for God. So they were holy and set apart positionally, if that makes sense, positionally before God. God looks at them, no matter what's in their background, no matter how much sin is in their past, God sees them on the first moment they put their faith in Jesus Christ as holy. Not because of their achievements, but because what Jesus did on their behalf. Jesus gave them his righteousness, and he took their sin. So does that make sense? So the first usage of it in Scripture is this definitive sanctification, where we receive 
the holiness of Jesus, and we're set apart, and we're considered saints. So I know that in many you know, churches, a saint is a person who's achieved some pretty amazing things in this life, but the Scriptures tells us a saint is one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so that's definitive sanctification, positional sanctification. But the kind we're going to be talking about mostly in this series is what's called progressive sanctification. It's this idea that we're increasingly set apart and we progress in actual practical holiness, that we become more and more like Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to spend our time on in this series. Practical sanctification. It's you were declared holy, now be holy, live a holy life. You were sanctified, now live sanctified lives. You were set apart by God for his own now live, live lives set apart for God. That's progressive sanctification. It's living out who you are already in Christ. And so God's will is for every Christian to be more and more sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. It's on the screen. Follow along with us in the app is there as well. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And in this context, talking to the Thessalonian Christians, he's specifically talking about sexual sins here. And he says, abstain from sexual immorality for each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles, like those who don't know God. He says, you're different. And God is working out more and more of this holiness practically in your life. And so one key thing we need to understand here, why sanctification matters, to answer our other, our other question we're going to be answering today, why does sanctification matter, is this. An absence of progressive sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, indicates an absence of definitive sanctification. That is, to put it in other words, an absence of salvation, an absence of genuine faith. That's what Scripture teaches that if you have no urge and desire and you're not growing to be more and more like Jesus at some level in your life over a period of time, then there's a problem at the heart of your salvation experience is what Scripture teaches us. Because true faith, real faith, equals justification, practical progressive justification. And here's the thing, I, you know, I think we... We just like, you know, everything else in America, we like quick fixes. We like instant gratification. We want shortcuts. And I think many times people get so discouraged in this process because there are no shortcuts. There are no quick fixes. There's no secret hidden key that once you find it, then you're all of a sudden going to wake up and you're going to be just like Jesus. That's not going to happen. And I think a lot of times... People get frustrated and they, and they get irritated with themselves and with church and with scripture reading because they want to see quick, instant gratification, instant results. And that just doesn't happen according to the scripture. And I've been guilty of this myself over the years. You know, because you, you do want something greater than maybe what you think you're, you're, you're missing out. And you look around and you think, there's got to be more. And usually these things that we hear about that we get excited about when it comes to our sanctification are pithy little phrases and catchphrases that, that grab us 
And there's oftentimes a lot of good truth in there, but it's not the entire truth. Let me give you some examples. Like one that was really popular some years ago that you may have heard, and it says, just let go and let God. Just let go and let God. Look, that appeals to somebody like me who grew up in legalism. And when I talk about legalism, I mean you keep all these rules and then God's happy with you. And if you don't dot all your I's and cross all your T's exactly right, especially the way the church teaches this practical sanctification should be, be living out in your life, then you're, you know, God is just like, he's so unhappy with you. And he, he's just going to hit you over the head with a baseball bat. He's going to kill your mom. And that's the culture I grew up in thinking that like God was like against me. And I appreciate the songs that were picked out today because it reiterates the fact that God is for his children. He's not against his children any more than you're against your child parents. You're for your child. And God is for us. He's not against us. And so I, I, I thought, wow, let go. That's it. You know, I, I've been trying to do all this on my own and, and trying to earn God's favor. I just got to let go and just let God work. And there's some truth, but it's not the entire truth. And so people are like, that's the answer. Uh, you know, another one which is, is, is absolutely true is to be filled with the Spirit. We got to be filled with the Spirit. And I thought, there's, there's the key. I've got, and I was getting all these books on like what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And I was reading and I was waiting for that one secret bit of information that's going to be like, boom, like all of a sudden, like the spirit has me all the time, 24 seven. And I'm growing just like Jesus by leaps and bounds. But soon I realized that, you know, that was not a key or secret formula or a quick fix. Another one that I came across just a few years ago, I was studying different denominations views on sanctification and, and I came across the Lutheran view of justification and sanctification. I was never raised Lutheran and wasn't familiar with it. And I even used this phrase some years ago in church because I, there's a lot of truth to it. But the phrase that the Lutherans would use is, sanctification is the, the art of getting used to my justification. The art of getting used to my justification. And there is so much good truth in that statement right there. And we won't break it down today. But I, I thought, where well, there it is, that's the key. I've just got to realize who I am and, and, and realize what God has done, and out of that will flow then this, this incredible power. And all these things came along. My, a few years ago, I read a book about our union with Christ, and there it is. It's about the union with Christ. Look, all these things are necessary, but in and among themselves, it's not alone the key to, to get you there. It's all the above and more. Scripture gives you so many valuable things in order to help you become more and more like Jesus. And so here's the key to sanctification. It's this, abandoning your search for the key. Abandon your search for the key. Realize that it's all about making much of Jesus in every facet of your life. And knowing his word, we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks, knowing his word, being filled with his word, and allowing his word and by faith to trust his word and live out the truths of Scripture. So, all about Jesus. Everything should be all about Jesus. And you say, well, we're Christians. Isn't that like a given that like everything's about Jesus? Well, I think you know what I'm talking about when life isn't all about Jesus. When we put other things on the throne of our life rather than Jesus. Or we make our religion about other things other than Jesus. And there's many people in church, maybe not today with COVID thing going on, but many people who attend churches normally who make Religion about a lot of other things other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, you know, I've, I've used this example before. Somebody who attended our church 
told me and was in our K group last year, they told me this illustration, but I thought this is a perfect illustration worth using again. Back when I first moved to Bainbridge in 2004, there was a really big movement um, for people who were looking back into what they called Hebrew roots or wanting to understand like a, a Hebraic mindset, how do I think like people who were, you know, who were following God and following the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Jewish people during that time period. And this is what she told me. She said that, that her and her family really got into this, this, uh, uh, this way of thinking and this church that was teaching this. And there's so much good stuff there. I mean, if you want to know more, Justin Torrey can tell you a lot of the good things about this movement because there's so much symbolism and, and so many things that this points to in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled all of these things. And when we see the richness of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, it's just amazing. I mean, it, it just brings the Old Testament to life and the law and the prophets to life. But her words were that more and more of their time and effort were being spent on keeping the law and Jesus became less and less important. And she said, by the time this thing was sort of wrapping up and kind of ended for one reason or another, that Jesus was never mentioned, ever. I mean, they never went to the New Testament. Jesus' life and ministry were never talked about. It was all about Torah, the law, keeping, uh, keeping what God had commanded in the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus was gone. And so anytime we remove Jesus out of the equation, Obviously, we're not going to become more and more like Jesus, which is the whole point of sanctification. And so if I can give you one truth to, to stick with in your head today is it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and we say that a lot. And so if we go to, to this chart here, I'm going to put this next chart up. If we look at sanctification, think of it this way. It, it, it's, it's a long, arduous journey and path and process. And we're going to talk more about, if you're reading here, the means of grace. We're going to talk about that in a, in a few minutes, I mean, a few days, a few, few weeks in this series, sorry. But um, if you look at this, what do you see? You see an ebb and flow, right? You see ups and downs, highs and lows. And this is not, keep it there for a second. Is that not indicative of our Christian life, that we have highs and lows? But what is consistent in this is the trajectory of the line, that it keeps moving toward Jesus Christ. It keeps moving toward being more and more like him. And so today, if you find yourself maybe in one of those dips, you may be extremely discouraged. And you're like, I feel so far away from God. And we're going to talk about what that means and why you feel that way in a few minutes. But some of you are in, on, a, on this way in the chart. I mean, you're, you're like growing and you're excited. And some of you think back through your life, you think about times when you were excited and growing, and now you're, you feel like more like you're just stalled out. And, and that's, a, that's a tough place to be in, but the, the key here isn't, if you find yourself stalled out or even in a, just a really low place, isn't like some big rededication moment where you're like, okay, I'm rededicating from here on out, blah, you know, and you make these big promises. I mean, it's a thousand rededications throughout your life. There's a thousands of, of times where God says, look, let me show you your sin. And you see your sin. And you see what Scripture says. And you see His holiness. And, you, and God shows you the idols you've been following. And you confess it. And you repent of it. You turn from it. And then you keep seeking God and fellowship with Jesus. And you keep growing. 
And you keep that trajectory going. And that's just indicative of a true believer. It, it, this is not, well, you know, I've lost my salvation, right? No, a true believer moves toward Jesus. They're on the, you're on the path of sanctification. He, those who he foreknew, he predestined to be in the likeness of his son. Now, back to what I mentioned about the, these dips and these ups and downs. This is not a process for the faint of heart. It really isn't. This is something that God provides you, we'll see in a minute, the energy and the strength. But it's a war. It's a war. It's a, it's a joyful war, and I'll explain that in a second, but it's still a war. Why? Because you are being challenged at every front with obstacles, which primarily fall into three categories, Scripture teaches. There's what's called the world, is the first obstacle we face. The world, that's culture, and we see this clearly today, right? That wants to define and tell us what is right and what is wrong based upon their definition, their feeling, the flavor of the day has nothing to do with Scripture, has nothing to do with what God wants us to do. It's just what society says is right and wrong. And so we have this battle in the world, the culture that we live in that's always changing. And so many people want to chase after the culture and think that, you know, some way, somehow I can be relevant with the culture I live in yet still believe and follow Jesus. But the problem is, culture changes constantly. And culture is not rooted in Scripture. It's not rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in just what people want to do and what they think is right and wrong. And that never ends well for the Christian to try to follow that. So be careful. Be careful where you go to find truth. I mean, the world could be the person in the cubicle next to you that's constantly giving you advice for your marriage. That could be the world, right? Because that person has nothing from Scripture to tell you. All they're telling you is, from my experience, here's what you need to do. You know, I'm just telling you this, was, this worked for me or that worked for me. And this is not rooted in Scripture at all. Or, you know, whatever it is you're, getting, you're hearing, whether it's news and media. I mean, it could be things that you're just filling your mind with that's just worldliness. It could be even somewhat moral worldliness, but it's still worldliness. And it's not... God's way of growing to become more like Jesus. And then the second obstacle we face is in this category of the flesh. It's this indwelling sin. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we need to declare it as holy. We still have to live this out in a sinful world, in a sinful um, body. Not that our flesh and our physical body is evil and spiritual is good. That's not what I'm saying here. It's The Bible uses this idea of flesh as being our propensity toward wanting to please ourselves, do what we want, have our own way, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, what Scripture calls it. And so we need to remember that although out there in the world there's definitely plenty to lure us in, it's always our hearts that draw us to those things. And Jesus made it clear that it's what's inside of us is what defiles us, it's not what's outside of us. And so it's hard for us to accept that our words and behavior are not caused by out there, it's caused by what's in here. And so that's the flesh. And so we have to be aware that we, we, you know, we don't blame everybody else for our sin. We take responsibility before God for our sin because ultimately that's where it derives from. And then the third obstacle is the devil. The devil. And the devil is what several words, angel of light is used in Scripture. But here's one I think that really can stick with us today. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren. What is that about? He wants to 
trash you. He wants to trash your hopes. He wants to say, there's no way you can do this. You can't become like Jesus. You tried it before. Why try it again? Why, you know, you, you said many times you're going to read your Bible every day. How, how long did that work out for you? You know, prayer doesn't change anything. You prayed for that and it didn't happen. So you can't trust prayer. And Satan wants to accuse you and tell you God's not smart. God's dead. God doesn't make sense. His ways aren't for you. He's against you. And he accuses you and he, he brings shame to you because he doesn't want you to believe that in Christ you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has begun. He wants to paralyze you from growing to be more like Jesus. But this process, it does take all the energy that we can muster up through the power of God. Look at Galatians 4, 19-20. Paul writes, My little children, for whom I am again in, ang- in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Look at this. He said, he's writing to these Christians, and he's saying, I'm in anguish as if one was going through labor and childbirth because I want to see Jesus formed in you. Let me talk to parents for a second here. Parents, if you desire your children above everything else to follow Jesus Christ, you know the pain that Paul is feeling here. That this, I I, I want the best for you, but I see you living life for other things other than Jesus. And Jesus is not being formed in your life. And he says, I'm perplexed. I'm in anguish over you. And so as parents, we see that. And if we don't see that, that's a problem in our sanctification, right? If we want, well, I really want my kid to be, you know, star athlete. That's really my goal for my kid. In, in reality, Jesus, yeah, it's good. They have some, some faith and some good morals and some good values to live in life. That's important, but, you know, here's what I really want for my kid. You need to do a heart check. You need to spend time with God and find out why Becoming more like Jesus Christ for your child isn't the most important thing for you. Because probably it's not the most important thing for your own life. And so we, as Paul says, we, you know, he, he's in anguish. He wants to see this form. And we want that, hopefully, for our children. But also we should want that for our church as well. And that's what Paul, I mean, Paul isn't extra special here because he cares for other people's growth. Sure, he's a ministry, he's an evangelist, he's an apostle. But all of us should care about one another. And we should be concerned about other people's growth. In fact, our mission statement here is helping each other, helping each other know and follow Jesus in our homes, in our city, in our world. Helping each other know and follow Jesus in our home, city, and world. And so we help each other. We do that through meetings and fight clubs and Bible studies and life prep you and K groups are a huge part of that. Not because K groups magically make that happen, but it puts you in a scenario, in a situation where you can know people and encourage people. It comes from texting people like I did this morning, just words of encouragement. It comes from many ways because we want to help other people because we know how easy it is for the world, the flesh, and the devil to get us off track and to make other things the main thing. And so we should pray for each other. We should teach each other. We should model a Christ-like life for each other because we understand that it's not just about me becoming Christian 2.0. It's about me 
glorifying God and helping you to bring more glory to God through your life as well and experiencing joy in your faith life and faith walk. So we need to be encouraging one another. And when K-groups kick back off, I hope that happens uh, just all the time, but I want it to happen now. I sure hope it's happening now as well because people are struggling. People are lonely. People need one another. And so Paul says, for him, he's not going to be satisfied until this happens. And then one more scripture I want to look at, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul writes this, he says, Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone, what's the next word? Mature. Mature in Christ. And what's Paul say? He says, for this I toil, I struggle with all my energy, Paul says, right? I'm doing this with all my energy. Is that what it says? What's it say? With whose energy? His energy that he powerfully works within me. That is an incredible statement there. That's what we sang a minute ago. I may be weak, but you're strong in me. My flesh may fail, but you never fail. You see, what God started, the process that he started, he who began a good work in you, Scripture says, will complete it. It's because God is at work that Paul can be at work. And it's because God is at work in your heart and your life is why you can be at work. And that's why we should work with the energy and the dedication that Paul had. That I'm going to, above all else, I, forgetting what's behind, straining forward to what's ahead, I press toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm running this race. I'm giving it all I have. And that's the way we should be. But at the end of the day, we know that nothing spiritual happens in our lives and nothing spiritual happens in your life unless God is the one that's working and making it happen through the Holy Spirit. So we work, we strive, we make the effort, but we recognize that it's not us, it's God. It's the same, just make it practical, it's the same prayer I pray every Sunday morning to myself and with Mitch Hines early in the morning on Sundays is, God, nothing can happen spiritually to anyone's life in this room. No one hearing this online can make any changes unless God first works. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter how smooth my presentation is. It doesn't matter the funny stories I tell. And, and it doesn't even matter how passionate I am about what I'm say, saying. If the Holy Spirit doesn't work, nothing happens. If God doesn't provide the work, the energy, our work doesn't make a difference. So God works through us. Paul provides the, exer the ex exertion, but Jesus provides the power. So we work hard, and that's part of sanctification, but we rely upon him working through us. Let me, let me just say this as we're getting ready to close in a second. If right now, if the Holy Spirit's working in your life, and I don't know about false guilt that you just put aside as soon as you leave this room. I'm talking about like real heart stuff happening in your life. If God's pointing out to your, your own idols, your, your unwillingness to put God first and help your children 
to see that follow, helping them follow Jesus is the most important thing you can do in life. If, if you're feeling conviction of sin, if you're looking at that chart and you're saying, well, right now I'm really, you know, I'm not where I should be. I need to be growing. That's a grace that God is bestowing on you right now. And you shouldn't just take that for granted because an unregenerate person, a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit in them, a non-believer, somebody who's not on the path to sanctification, has never really experienced justification, has never really received, the, they've never received the forgiveness of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus. Because an unregenerate person has no desire for the things of God, the Word of God. They don't want to give up their life. They love their life. I'm not going to lose my life. I'm going to save my life. I'm going to make the best of this life. But Jesus said those who really follow him take up their cross. They lose their life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. And so it's a, it's a, it's a gift of grace. It's a, it's a sign of a really good thing that, that you are truly in Christ if right now the Holy Spirit is moving you and convicting you and challenging you and encouraging you. And so you should, you should just pray to yourself right now, thank you for that. Thank you that, that I'm, I'm experiencing your move in my life. And I thank you for that security that I have, that, that you are at work, that you're doing something. He's at work in me to make me more Christ-like. So, what is sanctification? Or two questions. What is sanctification? Sanctification, we know it can be used several different things. In this study, it's becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a long process, a long path to becoming more and more like Jesus. Why does it matter so much to God? The, an absence of progressive sanctification is an absence of positional sanctification. An absence of practical progressive sanctification reveals an absence of being justified, being made like Christ, being brought into his family, born again in the first place. And then the second reason why it matters so much to God that we're sanctified is a quote that I heard from John Piper 20 years ago, and I've used it before, and I'll use it many, many more times in the future, Lord willing. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And so the more I'm growing, the more I'm in relationship with him, the more joy I'm going to experience. And the more attractive my life will be, not because of anything I bring to it, but because of the love and joy and peace and patience and all these fruit of the Spirit that are coming out in my life little by little. And sure, it's frustrating. I'm right there with you. I wish it came out quicker and I wish it came out more often. But God's going to finish His work. And so there's joy in delighting in God. There's joy in knowing Him. And He's glorified in us when we aren't miserable in our Christian life. We're not miserable in our journey. It's hard work, it's effort, but it's so rewarding because we know Jesus and we have fellowship with Jesus. I was talking to someone the other day who works at a restaurant in town, a nice restaurant, and they commented to me, they said, why, um, why is it that like, old people who come into the restaurant are like the, the meanest, the most demanding, like the, the snappiest, and they always complain? Why is that? Why, why do it seem like when people get old, they become irritable? And look, I can speak to old. Okay, I, I found out in a commercial this past weekend 
that I'm eligible to join AARP in a little over a week, okay? So I'm with you, I'm old, so don't feel like I'm condemning anybody. I definitely fit into that category. And there could be many reasons why people are that way. We don't have an answer to that. But here's the thing I do know. If you've walked with Jesus for a lot of time, and somebody says, why are they so grouchy? Why are they so irritable? Why are they so miserable? Why are they so unhappy? Regardless of your age, if you've known Jesus, there should be changes happening. There should be fruit coming out of your life. There should be more and more of Jesus being formed in you. Now, I can't give you exactly what that looks like in every situation. It looks different for every person in here. But the truth is that based on the facts of what Jesus Christ said and what the Scripture says, Christ is being formed in you. He predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so, how do you, how do you respond? I've told you, I've been trying to give three applications, head, heart, and hands, each week. Here they are. Head, thank God for His grace today that allows you to care about sanctification. Thank Him for that. Like I said a minute ago, thank Him that He's speaking to you right now. That's a gift of grace that doesn't come to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus says, I can't wait to get out of here. Man, this is, this is horrible. This is terrible. I don't want to be here. I only came because I was dragged here. But a true believer, when the word is given, something happens in the heart. And that moves us to the heart. Examine the trajectory of your life. Ask God for grace to continue to become more and more like Jesus. Examine. Examine that trajectory of that line in your life. Look at it. Five years ago, today, is there changes? Have you become more like Christ? Ask your spouse. Ask your parents. Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? My guess is they'll probably say, in some areas I see it. Others, you got a little bit of work to do. And you know what you should say? Babe, what, what area is it I, I need? I, you see those blind spots in me. See, that's where community, that's where we help each other. Marriage, about sanctification. Michelle for me, me for Michelle, becoming more like Jesus together. If there's any relationship that should be moving you closer to Jesus, it definitely should be in your marriage if you're married. But relationships, fight clubs, people, iron sharpening iron. And then hands, something to do. You like those doers, want to do it. Don't make growing your goal. Make knowing Jesus your goal. Spend quality time with him. I started to put 20 minutes a day, spend 20 minutes a day with him. But, you know, some of you, you need to, you know, spend an hour a day. Some of you need to just start spending five minutes a day. We're all over the place on that sanctification trajectory. But I know one thing, we all need to spend quality, uninterrupted time with Jesus Christ. Why? It's all about Him. If we're going to be formed into His likeness, if we're going to become more and more like Him, if we're going to be accepted, if we're going to accept the fact that becoming more like Him also means identifying in His sufferings as well as in the victories, then it takes Him living through us. Sanctification, little by little, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, left to ourselves, left to our own intellect and minds, 
we would make an utter disaster of ourselves and those around us because we don't have enough intelligence, enough strength, enough information, enough education, enough of world history to, in, to tell us how to navigate the times that we're in. We need your truth, your principles, and the wisdom to apply these to our everyday life. God, may the main thing be the main thing, which is becoming more and more like you, Jesus, through knowing you and the fellowship we have with you. God, I pray for those today who know they're on that path, but they're very discouraged. They've had some major failures, maybe even in the last few days. They've done some things that they promised they'd never do, or they've acted in ways that they swore to their spouse they'd never act, or kids who did some things behind their parents' back that they sure hope they don't find out. God, there's so many things that in our lives that don't always match up to who you say we are. And God, may we confess those and repent of those and pursue you with a new energy and new vigor this week. God, we love you and we thank you for your patience and your kindness and your grace and your mercy. Help us to be people of patience, kindness, grace, and mercy this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.